Turn with me to Matthew 24. And that's where we're going to be, but I'll be jumping around a bunch of different places. What I want to do is I want to look at the idea of persevering saints. And uh, this subject is actually extremely important because if we don't persevere to the end, then we aren't going to make heaven our eternal home. And it's not about how we start the race necessarily. It's how we make sure we finish it. And so that's the big thing, that we finish it and we finish well. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 9. And so Jesus speaking here, and this is His end-time discourse in chapter 24 and 25. It says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of Me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, what is going on here is Jesus is giving us four trials that's going to come to people that are believers in the last days, in the last moments of the last days. And so these are our four trials. And when we look at these, these are things that Jesus just doesn't bring out here. He brings out in other places, and then Paul and them expound upon him in the epistles. So this isn't some random thought. This is actually a humongous issue, a huge issue. Um, and it's something that I don't think uh, the church is paying attention to well enough, because if the church was, we wouldn't be in the midst of, uh, of a great falling away in the church, where so many are forsaking it. So many are forsaking the church, and then people are, are forsaking the church, staying in the church by the church becoming lukewarm and apostate in, in, uh, in doctrine. So this is uh, very, very important. But let's look at the, the setting of what uh, Jesus is talking about here before we get into those four points. And so I'll just be touching on a few different uh, uh, places from Paul's writings in Second uh, Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy, but in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three, he wrote, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." So what he's mentioning out here, he's building from what Jesus has already given us, what he's already said here in Matthew twenty-four, and he says, "Don't let anybody deceive you." And this becomes so important because there's going to be that spirit that brings deception. And it's in our world already. I mean, if people believe lies, they believe distortions, and they take their opinions and they try to make it as if that was uh, the gospel fact and all these different dynamics of it. And he says, don't let anybody deceive you. And you want to be deceived, all you got to do is go on the internet and, I mean, there's just so much stuff. Go to YouTube and, I mean, you can get any kind of lie you want off, uh, from there. It's just unbelievable. And so, if we're going to believe the truth, we've got to make sure we're taking in the truth. So that means you need to be very selective in who you are letting speak into your life. That's serious stuff, actually. That's very serious. Because if, you don't, if you're not selective in who you let people speak into your life, you can be taking in things that begin to influence you, and you don't even understand the influence that's coming, that spiritual dynamic that's behind it. And so we have to make sure that we let nobody deceive us because our eternity is worth remaining faithful to the Word of God. And, 
And, uh, you know, I wish that it was just this easy thing that will be faithful, no big deal. But we have to fight in that place of holding to the truth because there is so much lie. And uh, if you have been in the faith for very long, then you have seen people that you have known saying, that person would never backslide. And there they are. You see, where in the world they go? How'd they get there? You know, I mean, preachers, I know preachers that have backslid. And I mean, it's just unbelievable the things that I've seen. How at one time you would have never thought that they could be there, but then all of a sudden they have somehow begun to believe lies, open themselves up, and whatever that door was that opened it up, you know, uh, sexual perversion, pride, wealth, whatever it was, something that was there that opened the door, but they, they began to believe lies. And so we have this, this warning, don't let anybody deceive you. Jesus brings us out many different times about false prophets, false teachers, and we'll touch on that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, then Paul stated in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, he's warning us, same identical thing, they'll be deceivers. But they abandon the faith, they abandon the true faith. Why? Because they follow deceiving spirits. Now, this isn't about trying to be super spiritual and seeing demons all over the place, but this is the reality that there's the demonic that's behind this stuff. That lies don't come about just out of nowhere. They come, yes, out of the depraved human nature, but people that, that are not walking right with God begin to listen to these demonic things, and then they begin to, to, to allow it to breed inside of them, and then they begin to propagate it. And so, it's serious. There is a spiritual force out there that is wanting to bring lies, and he has the world already. He's just wanting to keep them in those lies. He doesn't have true followers of Jesus. So what's he trying to do? Bring those lies to the people of God that they might listen. And when do we usually start listening to lies? When we're weary, when we're struggling, when we're having some particular battles, and he knows when we start becoming vulnerable. That's when lies start coming in. Little things that can move us away, and if we don't understand the spiritual battle that we're in, then we're not going to live like we're in that spiritual battle. And then Paul told us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, he said, but mark this, and that phrase there, but mark this, is kind of like, pay serious attention to what I'm saying here, okay? So that is, in writing in, in Bible language, that is a, a trumpet sound trying to get our attention. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, People be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, I'm not going to go through that list, but when you look at that list, it's something is very interesting there. It begins with lovers of themselves, and it ends with lovers of pleasure, which is lovers of themselves, and everything inside of that is about self-love and self-idolatry. And so, what the end time is going to be, it's going to be a time in the history of man where the, the human, natural, sensual desires and appetites can be fed like never before. 
And, you know, so we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they had a very sensual culture. But I do not believe that they are anywhere close to the sensual culture that we have that has exploded in ways that they could have never dreamed of through the Internet and all the various ways that people can satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And so, mark this. Is what he's saying. Mark this. Pay attention to this. Understand this reality. Because people backslide not in a moment. It's like a man and woman. They walk down an aisle. They swear these vows to love each other for better or for worse. And yet ten years later, they're divorced. What happens? It wasn't one day they love each other and the next day they don't. This was a slow moving away from each other. Making the choices allow these divisions, this bitterness, the hurt, and all these things until they are so far apart from each other. And this is what happens. That's how backsliding happens. It's a slow little movements away. And I can't tell you where that, that, that cutoff point is where the person is one day in, in, in the faith and the next day they are totally gone. But there is a moving away that eventually there's a breaking of the covenant. And we have to make sure that we don't allow that to happen in our life. So now let's look at these, uh, these four points. The first one is the trial of persecution. Jesus said in verse 9, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Now, uh, we Americans can, can be pretty wimpy. I mean, I'm just being honest. I, you know, I love America, and I'm an American, but we can be pretty wimpy. Because if it starts getting hard, we start whining and complaining, right? And we don't know what hard is. And somebody isn't quite happy with us. Then, you know, we say, well, I just have this fear of man and all this stuff. And, you know, you go around the world and here's people suffering, being beaten for the cause of Christ. People that are being rejected. People that are, you know, a, a child gets saved and the parents want to, to murder the child. And so the child has to flee. You can have a child in some parts of the world, they, they're raised in an affluent home, and they become a Christian, and from there on, they're in abject poverty because they're hunted. You know, so we don't understand. We, we can become people that are so whiny and complaining that we fail to understand what it is, that there is a blessing when we are walking so near to Jesus that people want to hate us and persecute us because of that. It's not wanting to be hated. It's not wanting to be persecuted. But it's willing to walk so near to Jesus that if that comes at us, then we won't run away. We won't complain against God. We won't try and tower in some corner. But that we will stand because we have come to the place to really love Jesus. He promised that this would happen. And this is happening right now all over the world. Because it's not happening in America doesn't mean it won't happen. I don't know how great persecution is going to be in America. I can't tell you that. Because right now we have something more dangerous than persecution. We have prosperity. And prosperity is more dangerous because it is so easy to get sucked up into it and incorporated in the gospel and make it all these selfish dimensions. And it's terrible stuff. Terrible. But yet the devil hates God so perfectly, that he hates that which is made in the image of God, and hates that then which has the mark of Christ's character upon them because they become followers of Christ. So there's this hatred that just ultimately wants to harm them. So it almost always seems like, though there may be prosperity, eventually the devil just wants to beat on the church. And uh, we may face it. And if we have not, if we are not walking where we should now, how are we going to walk when things get hard like that? 
If we can't overcome in time of prosperity, when we can be, be have so much stuff and just just become so wandering from Christ as a result, if we if we can't walk near to Him, how are we then going to stand when things get hard? Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, here's a promise. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody has, has this on their refrigerator. You know how lots of times people, they'll have the little magnets and put the little verses, you know, the little scripture cards on there. Um, raise your hand if any of you have this on your, on your refrigerator. Uh, everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not one of the promise verses that we hold to, is it? Oh, give me that one, God. Give me that one. You know, I mean, we want all the other kind. We, we kind of just forget that promise. But guess what? If we're walking like we should with Jesus, we are going to be an offense to somebody. We are. We're not trying to be offensive. We're not trying to, 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 be, uh, to be controversial. But, but if we're a lover of God and the mark of God is upon our, our character, some people who are marked by hell are going to hate us because of it. There's a story of a communist country, and there was an underground house church that was meeting. And, uh, you know, trying to be very quiet, and, you know, but eventually they got found out. And so the police come and they break down the door, they rush in, they gather all the people, and then the guy that's the head honcho comes in and he looks at all of them and he says, any of you that are not real Christians, you can leave right now. All of a sudden all these people get up and they walk out and he had threatened them that those that stayed would die. Well, guess what happened? All those that stayed died. And then you know what happened next? They had gathered all the others outside and shot them. How would you like that? Just denying Christ, the next moment you're having to face them. Scary, huh? The second trial is the trial of betrayal. This is harder than the trial of persecution. Because betrayal becomes very personal. Because it has to do with somebody betraying us that we know or that we love or that's near. And so this is, this is tough stuff right here. And so he said in verse 10, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So what this is saying that there are those that are going to backslide. That are going to turn their back on Christ. And when they turn their back on Christ, they are going to hate the church and they're going to come against the church trying to somehow inflict suffering upon them because of their hatred for God. Because when we are persecuted, whatever source it comes from, whether it's just from the world or whether it's betrayal of those who once knew Christ or family members, that happens because we've walked in a place with Jesus and our life has become offensive to them. And so, Jesus said in another place in Matthew chapter 10, Verses 21 and 22. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his children. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, think about that. The betrayal of a spouse, of a parent, of a child. And can you imagine how painful that is? 
And you know what the devil wants to do in the midst of it? So you have this betrayal by somebody you love or by somebody that was in the church. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to corrupt you now in a whole different way. If he can't corrupt you by beating you, he will corrupt you through bitterness. You want to talk about something that's serious here, just think of that, the bitterness that would happen that you have a beloved child, a spouse, a parent or something that betrays you, turns you over to authorities, and you know what's going to happen. Now we had that, excuse me, I forget her name, but we had that woman that is a, a missionary in China here, And, uh, you know, she spoke about the situation, which, you know, I've known from my own personal reading in that, that you cannot teach your children about Jesus because when they're in school, which they are forced to go to public school, there is no homeschooling. And so you, if you tell them about Jesus, they're constantly asking, and they are told that it's the good and right and noble thing to do to turn your parents in if you find a Bible in the home. So they can't tell their own children about Jesus unless they're willing to take their own life into, uh, you know, unless they're willing to lay their life down. Because they may tell their child and their child may go to school and the next day you're in prison for the rest of your life. And just think about that. There you are in prison. Instead of being there for the glory of God, you let bitterness and hate brew in you and take you away from Jesus. That's how serious it gets. And so here's the danger of bitterness. The danger that can come from persecution. And if we can't overcome bitterness now, how are you going to do it when things get really hard? How are you going to do it when somebody starts rising up against you? How are you going to do it? So the only way we can stand is by grace. Becoming dependent upon Jesus. There was this pastor that was taken here again in a communist country. And he had been tortured again and again, brutally tortured, trying to force him to deny Christ. And uh, they couldn't get anywhere. He just... He wouldn't give in. So they changed tactics. And so one day they bring him into the place where they tortured, tortured him. And as he enters in, he sees in the corner this pile of rags. And as he looks and his eyes adjust, he realizes that pile of rags is his mother. And so they went to him and says, we'll let you go right now if you'll deny Christ and tell me who the other pastors are. All of a sudden, his mother spoke. Son, if you deny Jesus, if you turn in those pastors, then you are no longer my son. That was the last time he ever saw his mother. Never saw her again. Now, I want to guarantee you that man had some serious problems going back to his cell and this desire to hate his persecutors, to hate those who persecuted his mother. But you see, if we're not going to forgive, then we're in trouble. If we haven't learned how to forgive now, we're in trouble in the future. We're in serious trouble in the future. Because Jesus went and told us, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. 
That's pretty radical stuff. I mean, we don't understand. We read over that in our American culture, and we just kind of don't understand what people in other parts of the world are, are, are facing. But if we don't have the ability, the courage, the desire to do it now, how are we going to do it when things get really, really hard? You see, we always can have a Judas in our midst. A Judas. Wouldn't that be hard? Just think about that aspect with, with Jesus. He was God incarnate, but yet he knew he was going to be betrayed with a kiss. Well, he knew it was coming. He knew his, who his betrayer was. But we wouldn't. And that's hard stuff. Now, you want to know what? I have been betrayed as a pastor. I have had betrayal on my hands. I've had people turn their back on me and stab me in the back and say all kinds of things and do as much harm against me as they could. And do you want to know what I have had to battle serious? Forgiving them. And I'm not even in a time of persecution. The third trial is the trial of false teachers. And so Jesus said, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. I mean, he said this in so many ways, so many times, warning us about false Christ, false prophets, false teachers. Why don't we realize that if we're in the last times, isn't this going to be something that should be exploding in our culture right now? And why are we shocked when it's out there? Well, because along with the whole rise of false prophets and teachers and all this other stuff is a rise of this lie of tolerance. Okay, it comes from our government, it comes through the church, the lie of tolerance. And the lie of tolerance is just what it is. Because the people that tell us, well, we need to tolerate everybody, will not tolerate anybody that disagrees with them. So they're literal hypocrites that advance that. So at the same time that, that this whole aspect of false prophets are rising up, is this lie that says you can't disagree with them. Now, you know... If you've, if you've been on any of the platforms, you know, uh, Christian discussion groups, and they start getting the doctrine, I mean, people that call themselves Christian get, get really ugly, right? I mean, I've seen it. I don't go there. I won't even, just, just won't even get the time of day. It's sad, because they fight and fight. Instead of fighting the devil, they're fighting each other, and uh, it's a, a sad thing. But we don't need to be fighting each other, even when we have some things that we disagree with, so long as we hold to the foundational truths that are not negotiable, which is who God is and the Trinity and, you know, salvation by grace through faith and all those basic things that are non-negotiable, that if people do not believe those basic things, those, the, the very basics of them, then they can't even be a Christian because they can't believe who Jesus really is and what he came to do. So all these false teachers and false prophets are going to somehow or another try and move us away from what it really means to be born again and to walk holy before God. Somehow they're going to distort the truth and make it sound good. I mean, didn't it sound really good what the serpent was speaking to Eve? He took enough of the truth to be convincing. But you see, when you go and buy some rat poison, it's something like 98% pure grain, but it's that 2% poison that kills you. You know, that's all it takes. Put a little bit of lie in the truth. Now you have the poison that will kill you because it's enough to start moving us away. That's why we have to be faithful 
in the Word of God. We have to be faithful to the Word, know the Word, understand what is true, understand what the basics of the faith really are, so that we can have right fellowship with one another and know when people begin to propagate lies. We've got to know this, because if we don't understand, then we can be taken captive. I have a friend, he's a pastor, I won't say where, but, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a different guy. But, you know, every so many years after I see him, he's, uh, he has some new doctrine he's gotten himself into. None of them her- were heretical to move away from the faith, but some of them are just starting to get in various ways, because guess where he found it? On the Internet. Looking on the Internet. Got caught up into it on the Internet. Started listening to something new that somebody was saying, which really isn't new, but it sounded good, or trying to address some problem that he's having, and here's this thing that comes that is not biblical, but he begins to listen to it and it starts moving him away. Here's a man that should be stable in the faith, be able to lead his congregation, but yet he begins to listen to some of these lies that start moving him away. And like I said, he's not moved away from the, from the foundation of Christianity. It's all these peripheral issues. But you start opening yourself up to prefer, per, peripheral issues, and you can be moved away from the foundation, possibly. We have to be, be diligent in keeping ourselves right 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. <clears throat> now think about this particular verse. Of what's going to happen is that there will be the people that want to believe lies, so they look for teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Now, go before the Internet. Go before cars. You know, radio, TV, anything. Go before all that. And if you wanted to have, to believe a lie, you had a much harder time trying to find it. Because you had to somehow go to where they were, or if they were, and if you even went before books were there, you had to go before the, a time of books, so you would have to hunt this individual out somewhere. But now, how easy it is. The internet, books, TV, I mean, it's everywhere. You can just find lies, and if you want to believe something, there's somebody out there that's going to tell you exactly what you want to believe. That's why we have to make sure our faith is established in the reality of who Jesus is, of what is revealed in the Word of God, and we stand upon that, and we will not budge. We will not budge. And so here's a couple of them. These are American ones. Um, Unfortunately, they are getting all over the world. The preaching that godliness is a means to gain. The prosperity gospel, which is another gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet, it is so popular in the church, and it used to be just kind of one little group of people, but because people listened to these preachers, and those who are preachers that came from those preachers, and because they start listening to it, it's trickled down, it's gotten more and more to the people, where it's like in all kinds of churches now, where there's this idea that God wants me rich. Why does He want me rich? Because He wants me happy. Because life becomes now all about personal happiness, which that's not the Word of God, though. That's not what the Bible teaches. But people believe it all the time. And why does it, why does this, this just, why is this whole thing exploded? Because people want what their itching ears hear because it speaks of something that they want. So you have the preacher say, you deserve 
uh, you know, X amount of money, and if you give this much to me, you will have a hundredfold return. So people give, not giving to God, they're giving out of greed and hoping that the lottery of religion will pay. It's basically what that is. Because they're hoping that if they just pay enough money, finally they'll cash in and they'll have all that they want, they can be happy. But even if they got all that they supposedly wanted, they still would not be happy because happiness does not come from those things. And, you know, I just don't understand how this doctrine has gotten such a hold on the church. I just don't understand. Like, here you have 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 3 through 6, and I'll just kind of highlight this. Paul said, if anyone teaches false doctrines, that they have been robbed of the truth because they think that gain is a means to financial gain, that godliness is a means to financial gain. I mean, so here you have the very idea that they're deceived if they believe that 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 the faith is used to make financial gain, and yet it's preached all over, and people say, yes, that's what I want, because they have itching ears. They want to hear what people are saying, and they go after it because it's appealing to the flesh. Now, you know, it was a couple years ago. I went and uh, just happened to look up the ten richest preachers in the world. And you know, I was totally, totally, I was shocked. The three most wealthy preachers in the world are in Africa. What began here, the lives of the prosperity gospel in America, has taken unbelievable hold in Africa. I mean, and these men, these preachers, they have abject poverty all around them, and yet they are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Unbelievable. Believable. They will face the wrath of God. There's no maybe about that. They have gone so far away from the gospel that it's not even funny. But yet, think of the ruin, the lies that they are propagating, and people listen to it because they want out of their poverty, and so they will give what little they have, hoping that somehow they'll win that religious lottery. But Paul told us twice. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, that greed is the sin of idolatry. Greed is the sin of idolatry. I mean, that, that should be disturbing enough to go and say, well, if I let greed in my heart, if I become driven for financial gain, then what has happened to me? I've allowed this idolatry in me. And the greed, greed is a real easy idol to raise up in our lives because through that, we're able to obtain all kinds of avenues into pleasure. You see, the more money you got, the more pleasure you can get into, and the deeper you can get into it, and your life can be drowned more and more and more in the pursuit of pleasure because money has become the goal in which you seek. Then you have the false preachers that preach peace, peace. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14 says, They dress the wound. This is God rebuking the shepherds of Israel. They dressed the wound of my people as though it were, no, were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. What a thing to do when people are not right with God and to whisper sweet nothings in their ear that make them feel good, yet they stay in their sin. That's the problem of the cheap grace gospel. That's the, that's the problem of, of positive preaching that never wants to confront 
I mean, if anybody had a problem with confrontational preaching, then they need to just read the Gospels again. You know? Because guess what? The Gospels is full of Jesus confronting. And uh, conf- what's he confronting? He's confronting sin. So you confront sin, and people call that a negative message. Uh, but Jesus calls that, the call to repentance, the most loving message. It's the most loving message. Because it's a God that cares and wants to rescue us from, from the sin that we're in. So you have all these types and various versions of the Christless, crossless, positive preaching kind of message that leaves people in their sin. And it's the same thing that God rebuked uh, the people through, with, through Jeremiah, where they cry, peace, peace. They want to give them what, what makes them happy. Why? Because it brings in money. It brings in money. I'll give a, a story here. This is a true story. Okay, and I don't necessarily want to name names, but I think it kind of needs to be just said. But uh, those of you who are familiar with Steve Hill, he was the evangelist for the Brownsville Revival, went from 95 to 2000 in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, we were talking to him once, and uh, he ended up speaking how he called Joel Osteen one day. Called Joel Osteen. And uh, because of Steve Hill and his, his uh, fame and notoriety, uh, Joel Osteen listened picked up the phone and talked to him. And so uh, Steve Hill goes to him and says, uh, Joel, what are you doing? He says, you're preaching cupcakes and cotton candy. He says, people can't get saved like that. What are you doing? And his response is, well, I can't preach the gospel. Half my church would leave. You see, he doesn't preach what he preaches because he loves the people. He preaches what he preaches because he loves himself. And yet people don't understand that every version of false doctrine that is, is being taught is being taught because people love themselves. Not because they're loving the people. Then you have this fourth one. The trial of a wicked culture. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. This is what we're in right now. This is the culture we are in. The increase of wickedness. It is so easy to get into evil. And it's so easy for young people to get in evil at younger and younger and younger ages. It's terrifying. It's sad. The lives that are being ruined because we live in a country of increased wickedness. And because of that, it's causing people's hearts to grow cold against what is real. And so what about kitty porn? You take, a, you take a father that, that would love his children, and then he gets into kiddie porn to love that which is absolutely contrary to everything of what he would say in loving his own child. I mean, it becomes without natural affection. It's, it's horrendous where our, our sensual culture takes people as they get deeper and deeper and deeper into these things. And so it makes us grow colder and colder. Harder and harder, more calloused against what goes on. And, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a problem here, but, you know, I, I say this all the time when I'm around the country in, in other settings. I'm always dealing with TV, always dealing with it, because it has opened up a Pandora's box of evil into homes and the lives. And it opened up so much evil because it, what it does is the more we partake of evil as an entertainment, the more it numbs us to the reality of that evil where we are no longer bothered by it. 
then it can go even more where we try to become more tolerant of it. And then even further where we are saying, well, it's not that big a deal. How do you think churches now, more and more and more, are coming to the place that begin to justify homosexuality? Because of this very process of the, of the wickedness of our culture, hardening their hearts more and more and more, getting further and further away from Christ, and so they can believe things and propagate things that are absolutely contrary to everything of the Word of God. So I like the book of James. The book of James, is uh, I, I taught it in the podcast uh, some years back. And, uh, I mean, he's a fiery preacher. I mean, I just love... You know, he, pull, he doesn't hold back. And uh, in chapter 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone choose to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? I mean, what an in-your-face verse. I mean, you know, he's not dancing around the issue. He's not trying to say it softly. He's just saying, this is the fact. You're a friend of the world. You're an enemy of God. And so everyone that I know that has turned their back on Christ went back to the world. Backsliding isn't just going back to the world. Backsliding is going back to the enemy side, becoming an enemy of God. The person who once said that they loved Jesus now becomes a God-hater. That's some sad, sad stuff. We live in, a, in, a, in such a wicked culture that if we don't guard our hearts, things can suck us away from Jesus so quickly. And so we have to guard our hearts. We have to keep ourselves in the love of God, no matter what the cost is. So how should we now live? Alright, so here's the reality. We've looked at the reality. We've looked at some of what Jesus said and how we're to respond to it. But how should we live? Here's what Jesus said, verse 13. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, how does this... Uh, what, what are you to do? You are to stand firm no matter what it costs you. Whether it costs you your job, whether it costs you your home, whether it costs you your possessions, whether it costs you family or friends, you are to stand no matter what it costs. That's not about arrogance, okay? It's not about being arrogant or unteachable type of thing. It's about the aspect of saying, I hold to the plain teaching of the Word of God, to the truths of God, I will not budge. And when people want to move me from that in one way or the other, it says, I will not be moved. I will not change. And so Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, in chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he said, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see, this is such an important thought that's here. Watch your life and doctrine. Not just watch your doctrine. That's what some people say. And they're so caught up in doctrine that they'll, they'll fight anybody uh, against it. And it's not just life, because how can we have a godly life without right doctrine? They must both be there. We have to watch them both at the same time. We have to watch our life and make sure our life is lining up with right doctrine. We have to keep both. We have to protect both in our life so that we can be faithful to the end, so that we can persevere no matter what we face. Because it's not just that if we persevere in them, if we remain faithful to a holy life that we're called to live and faithful to the Word of God, it's not just that we save ourselves, but He says that you will save your hearers. 
It will not just be that God will be saving you, but you will become an agent of bringing that salvation to others that they can look at you and see the reality of Christ in you because you're living it out, because you refuse to cower before a world that's trying to make us cower. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what does he do here? He takes this thought of standing and takes it a little bit further by presenting it as the Olympic Games. And if you're going to want to win the prize, you've got to take everything out of your life that weighs you down. Everything that weighs you down. Now, if you want to run a marathon and you want to take first place, you're not going to do it at 500 pounds. Right? You've got to take everything off. You've got to take everything off. You've got to get rid of everything that is going to stop you from running the race. Everything that is going to hinder you from finishing. Everything. And this is, this is not some fear-mongering. This is what we are told according to the Word of God. Because sin has the potential to be our ruin. So we have to go and make sure that we get everything out of our life that hinders. So what do we do? We run with perseverance. But when you think of this, when we run with perseverance, is that there's this training that goes on. That if we're going to make the end, I couldn't run a marathon right now. I don't know if I could run a block. I mean, you understand? I mean, it's like if you want to run a marathon, there's all the training, the whole thing you've got to go through, and you've got to keep training yourself to build yourself up more and more and get stronger and stronger that you might be able to run a couple blocks then and a mile and then so on until you can eventually run a marathon. And maybe you'll run the marathon, you'll be the last person there, but at least you ran a marathon where the majority of people can't. And it's in the whole training process to get stronger and stronger, but we're not competing against each other. We are competing against ourselves. So I am to become the better me that I'm to be. I'm to become what God wants me to be and strive more and more and more to get nearer and nearer and closer and closer to Jesus because I need that. I need to get closer to Him so that I can make sure that when I breathe my last, I hear well done. I need to get close to Him so if I face persecution or testings or whatever it is, that I will, I will be able to pass through it in flying colors. I might have shared this with you before. I'm going to stop in just a, just a moment here. Um, some years ago, I was praying, and just this thing came into my heart. So it's kind of sick of me. And I went and said, Jesus, I just want to be a good son. I'm tired of being a brat. I'm tired of it. Help me to be a good son. And that became a prayer that I just pray so often. God, I just want to be a good son. Help me. Help me to obey you. Help me to do what pleases you. And from that came this desire that I just want the well done for me. And so things I go through now, especially when they're hard, and I'm going through trials or whatever, I'll go, Jesus, I just want the well done. Help me to do this right so I do, so I get a well done at the end of it. Not just the well done when I die, but the well done for each thing, each trial, each situation. God, help me to be mindful of it. And you know, the more mindful you are of that, the more you are just saying, God, I want the, the well done. The more you look at each and every situation that you are acceptable and pleasing to Him, because this desire is just to remain true and faithful to Him in all things. 
Final verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What a great question. He gives the answer. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. So, since Jesus is coming back and eventually there's going to be a new heaven and new earth and this old earth and, and heaven is going to be destroyed by fire, what kind of people should we be since we are eternal beings? What kind of people should we be since we're going to live forever and ever? And so he tells us we ought to be holy and godly. Why? As we look forward to His day when He comes back. Or the day that we stand before Him. We should be looking for that, longing for that, desiring that, and living every day in expectation. What happens when we start believing lies? We start taking our eyes off of Him and putting it on ourselves and upon the world and upon things. And we're slowly moving away from Him. There is a devilish plan to try and bring our ruin. And we better understand the reality of this. I want to close with a final story. Another communist country. Here again, the police broke into this house church and was threatening them. What he did is he took a one of their Bibles and he threw it on the ground. Is there any of you that will spit on that Bible? You can walk out right now. So people started getting up and spitting on it. And finally, the 16-year-old girl got up. And she walked up to the Bible, reached down, picked it up, wiped it off weeping, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the next moment, she was dead. But she was in the arms of Jesus. What a good way to go. Worship team could come up.